But I am thrilled to get to preach on the first day of 2023. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, my intention today is to be the first of a three-part series on a series I'm simply calling Living by Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, uh, it says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. And in verses 3 and 4, it goes on and then shares with us a little bit about what faith looks like, and it says this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts or his offerings. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. A number of years ago, Carla and I were in the city of London, and we got the privilege to go to a historic spot that I'd always wanted to visit, and that is a place called Bun Hill Fields. And Bun Hill Fields is a burial ground for Protestant nonconformists. Now, here at Hope Bible Church, we may think of ourselves as nonconformists, but what that historically meant was this. There were Christians in England who did not conform to the Anglican Church, the Church of England, and were unwilling to come under the notion that the church and the state were wedded together and that the state could tell the church what to do in terms of its worship. And as we went through this burial area, we began to see that it was filled with Christians who I had heard of before, and I was thrilled to see that they were there. That is, number one, we saw Isaac Watts, his place, the great hymn writer. And then Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the, those who started the Wesleyan and Methodist movement. And then John Owen, who I consider to probably be the greatest theologian that's ever been produced in the English-speaking world. But to my biggest delight, I came across finally a grave with John Bunyan. And of course, he's the author of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And so as I came to that, I began to think about it and I looked at it, I thought of what a great thing. He was in this burial place where he would not be allowed in Westminster Abbey. He would not have been buried somewhere else because he was unwilling to live under those strictures and he was persecuted for his faith. And we know that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in jail. And in writing it, he talked about enduring faith. In fact, you know that one of his characters is called Faithful. And that is the person who endures throughout all of the difficulties of life. Bunyan knew it personally. He wrote about it in his book. And so when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, everyone in this room who's a Christian already knows what's in the text. You already know what we're serving in this menu. You know that Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, this is the faith chapter in the New Testament. And what you also know 
is that it is filled with men and women of faith who didn't just have faith in faith, who weren't just good people. They were people who had a trust in God and a trust in God's word that kept them through difficulties and despair and situations in which they were tempted to quit their faith. I love Hebrews chapter 11. I love what it tells us. And in both sides of it, we have a context that I think you'll need to know. On the front side, just before Hebrews 11, Hebrews 10 ends by saying this, continue to endure in your faith so that you'll continue to the reward that is yet future. And then chapter 12 begins this way, just at the end of chapter 11. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 11 essentially is this. It's an encouragement to you and I to endure through faith and live by faith and not by sight. It's not made up of Christians who were perfect, right? We often call this the hall of faith as if they were special saints who were mega woo-woo. But the reality is they were sinners just like us. And many of their stories are filled with sin and, and shame. But their overall trajectory of the lives of the people are in chapter 11 is that they lived by faith. Now, I've been a Christian long enough to know that if I use the word faith, not everyone in the room has the same notion of what faith is, right? Uh, living by faith means giving up all material possessions, trusting the Lord for our money. I don't work anymore. I just trust the Lord. Or living by faith has something to do with intellectual notions or taking a blind leap of faith. And so what we need to look at in these couple of weeks as a reminder for Christians who love the Lord and want to please the Lord is what exactly does it mean to live by faith? I see people in this passage who did things for the Lord, but we have to trace back why. So let's take a look at verse 1 again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The first thing I see is simply this. Faith believes God's word. It just simply believes God's word. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. The first thing we have to understand is what is faith and how does it relate to other places of faith in the New Testament? There's at least three ways that the New Testament uses faith. Saving faith, serving faith, sanctifying faith. Saving faith, what is that? Saving faith, of course, is the belief and trust in what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross in dying for our sins, and it's an acknowledgement of the gospel. Saving faith has at least three parts. Knowledge, 
assent, and trust. If you only believe the facts of the gospel with your mind, namely that Jesus was buried, died, was buried, and rose again the third day for our sins, you're not truly saved. You have an intellectual faith. But then it has to be accompanied by assent. I agree with that. That is true. I understand that I'm a sinner and I need that as well. I cannot save myself. And so assent is an acknowledgement that the facts are true and they apply to me. And then finally, in saving faith, you have trust. That is staking your entire eternity on the finished work of Jesus Christ and not on yourself. Saving faith. Saving faith does not require us to do anything to be saved past the point of trust. You don't have to add works. Uh, you don't have to give money. You don't have to do anything special. It does not require. It is completed by the word trust. But serving faith is different. In the New Testament, we have the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians, where some people have the ability to help the church through trusting the Lord in terms of the ministry of the church. And then you also have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Which is faith. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We are given the fruit of faith, one of the fruits of the Spirit, by which we can exercise service for the Lord and start in sanctification. But in Hebrews 11, we have a little bit different look at what faith is. Faith here is not simply believing and trusting. Faith is not simply trusting God for a future. But faith here is belief in something in the future that drives me to act now and do something about it. That's why in Hebrews 11, every one of the people mentioned, some 17 of them by name, every one of them it says, by faith they did this, by faith they did that. You know, it'd be confusing, but it, it could almost say, by works they did this, by works they did that. So why does it say by faith? Because faith, again, as we're going to define more clearly, faith here is looking into the future and the rewards that are there and looking at the eternal and then taking that as your cue and then aligning your life today in light of a certain future, even if everything you can see doesn't make sense in light of those things. So, basically, a few things that faith is not. Faith is not content creating. That's a popular one within the Christian church today. I can see it. I am dreaming a future for this church and God's people here at Faith and Hope Bible Church. I can see it out there. and I know we all have to believe God for that. It's also not a future certainty creating. You're not creating the outcome either. That's the name it and claim it. That is the idea of, I believe God for this and I have believed into it and I'm speaking truth into that and faith and God is going to do that. I see it's going to happen. It's not just the goal, but now it's going to happen. That faith is speaking a reality. That faith creates reality. This is a popular expression today of faith within the quote-unquote church. And also, faith is not seeing what no one else can see. 
I'm the only one who sees this. Mm-hmm. That's why they have little jackets they can put on you and put you in a special room. And there's difficulty when someone has a gift of faith where they trust God for specific things within the context of concerns. And within the church, a person who will give a lot of money out of faith or a person who serves out of that or can see. But a person with that gift must also be careful not to have the idea that that gives them a special revelation of what God is trying to do. The only thing we're supposed to trust in this type of faith is the written word of God. That is what faith in Hebrews 11 is about. It is the revealed will of God which people trusted in Hebrews 11 that ended up in these unique circumstances. Now, one of the people in Hebrews 11 was inventing or saying, I'm going to step out on faith and trust that God, God is going to do this for my church. You know, we live in a day when pastors use that and it becomes a way of suppressing truth and manipulating people. When you say, the Lord has given me a vision for this church. I have the faith that we're going to do this. We're going to build a 90-foot statue and put Gabe's picture on it. <laughs> the Lord's really revealed that to us. And you need to trust the Lord to do it also. It may be true, coming off of the joke side, it may be true that a collection of people who love the Lord seek to do something great for God and trust him that he will show up and do things. But there's a difference between that and claiming it will happen and also holding God that it must happen. Often what we call faith within the church in those kind of efforts is actually presumption. It's what Satan tried to say to Jesus in the temptation in Matthew 4. If you throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, if you have enough faith to do that, God will catch you. Don't worry. It's presumption on God. What is biblical faith according to Hebrews chapter 11? Again, it is not saying that you can see things no one else can see, but rather it's seeing what God has promised to everyone who's a believer and to all those who've gone before us and having confident assurance that God is going to give that to every Christian in the future. So what does scripture mean by faith? Here's some quick ones that you already know. It means trust. Check. It means that the object of our faith is always God. The content of our faith is always his word or his spoken uh, commands. And it is the result that we are looking for is to please God in every single case. So let's take again, look at verse one. Take a quick look at that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Huh? It's always kind of odd. It's like faith, faith itself is the assurance or faith assures us or we are assured by faith. It depends on the objective or subjective here. Both are possible. What exactly does it mean that faith is the assurance of things hoped for? Well, hope is a confident trust of a yet future positive outcome as promised in the word of God. Friends, you're hoping for things in the Lord. You hope that one day that 
evil will be defeated and God's kingdom will come. You are hoping that those sufferings that you're going through will not only end, but they'll end in God's glory. You're hoping for justice in the next world. You're hoping to be in God's presence forever. And as C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires, which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We have desires that faith believes in. I want to be in God's presence forever. I believe him when he told me that this is going to happen. But hope goes above that. Hope goes beyond that. It's a growing reality of a, yes, that's going to happen. Your hope becomes, in this life, you don't see it. But your hope gets greater and greater. And you begin by faith to obtain those things which are beyond sight. And they're unseen from this world. Take a look at uh, verse 1 just one more time. I want you to see that it says, things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11 mentions this idea of seeing quite a few times. Let me do this really quick. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Verse 7, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Verse 10, speaking of Abraham, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Let me add this measure. Hebrews 11 is not telling us this. If you trust God, God's going to work it out. Your circumstances are going to work out. Things are going to get better. Life is going to get grander. The problem's going to go away. What is Hebrews 11 telling you? The opposite of Joel Osteen's book. We know that his book is Your Best Life Now. Look around, dudes. You live in your best life now? No, you're not. This... A book from Hebrews 11 should be titled Your Best Life Later. Now, some people have in the past made that it's pie in the sky and all that, but Hebrews 11 is telling you that. Every one of the people, according to verse 13, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. Guess what? You're going to die, and you're not going to get them either in this life. See, the problem with the Hebrews 11 preaching sometimes is that we can walk out and go, man, if I have the faith of some of these people, oh, I'm going to live the dream in this life. I'm going to be a deeply spiritual person. Every person who died from Hebrews 11 died without receiving the promises. Why? Because they're in the next life. 
I used this basic illustration a few weeks ago, but in my class, but uh, a lady named Janine Roth wrote a book regarding food addictions. And in it, she describes an event where she realizes, hey, um, I'm looking for food to fill all the holes in my life. And so she went to her refrigerator and she put a little placard on her refrigerator and it simply said, it's not in there. It's not in life, and we're not going to get it here. That's why this whole passage is about being an alien, being a stranger in a strange land. This is about being far from home. As you begin this year, the question will be in Hebrews 11, do you see by sight and have you put a value system on things here? Whether your children, your job, or your calling, or your money, or whatever it is, and the value system is not taken from an eternal perspective, but from a temporal perspective. And you're trying to find it in here. But these people were ones who looked to something greater in their life. And then in verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden by three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. Oh, they were like my parents. But they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now look at verse 26 and 7. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So what does it mean when it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? Those are supposed to help us understand that it's not things unseen, the big mystery. The things unseen is you haven't been to heaven yet. (laughs) You haven't seen God You haven't seen the saints in heaven. Those are the things that are unseen. They are real things that the Bible describes. They're not ethereal things that we are supposed to have faith in. And that's what God's calling us to. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's just close in prayer. That was so good. Uh, that just that just really, really hit us. So where are we? Simply this. Faith in the book of Hebrews is simple. It acts. It's a looking to the future of realities which are certain because God said them, which I cannot see with the naked eye, which I've decided to use as the platform for determining everything I'm going to do under the Lordship of Christ. So I make decisions on my money, my job, all of those things in light of an eternity that others may not recognize, but God has promised. And faith is also a supernatural gift, right? It's not something we drum up. God gives us faith. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, we're told that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, cannot understand them. Ephesians 2 tells us that faith is a gift from God. And then we have the beautiful picture of Lydia. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis has a great quote in his Silver Chair book in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia about this, the idea that faith is a gift and it comes from God. And so Aslan, the lion, is speaking to one of the characters, and he says this, You would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you, said the lion. So faith is a gift. Faith is given to us to see with eyes that go beyond the natural realm. It's grounded in God's word and ultimately leads to an action. And that's where we turn the corner here to verse 2. The idea is that for, by it, the men of old gained approval. This faith leads to doing stuff. Noah built an ark. Abraham left where he was and he went somewhere else. And so their question might be, well, what does it mean to live by faith right now in my own personal life? It means to look at your life and decide to do something. Well, that's not faith. That's doing stuff. It's because you believe in a world to come and that what you're doing right now has to make sense in that light. So again, in verse 2, for by it, the men of old gained approval. Uh, we are to live by faith, following the example of godly men and women from the past. In chapter 11, uh, the author goes through a quick survey of the Old Testament. Uh, he starts with creation. He goes through Abel, Enoch, and Noah up to the flood. And then he tells us that from Abraham to Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob all live by faith. And then he takes us from Moses to David, Moses, the wall of Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. And then he takes us from David to Christ, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Why? Because chapter 11 is to convince the Jewish professing believer that the author's writing to to not go back to Judaism, to not leave Christ, because Christ is better than anything that they were looking to. And so he gives an example that it has always been by faith. It's never been by the law. It's never been by works. Life has always been by faith. So faith works in a variety of situations with a variety of outcomes in this life is the point of Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11.6, if you look at that really quickly, this is the key verse, obviously. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith's not a new concept. Abraham was saved by faith before the law. David's saved by faith during the law. We're saved by faith after the law. What should we do? We should imitate their faith. Uh, I think uh, Dr. MacArthur has a good summary on all of this before we hop into our very first example, and that is, he says this, there are only two ways to live. One way, by far the most common, is to live by sight, to base everything on what you can see. This is the empirical way. 
The other way, far less common, is to live by faith, to base your life primarily and ultimately on what you cannot see. The Christian way, of course, is the faith way. We have never seen God or Jesus Christ or heaven or hell or the Holy Spirit. We have never seen any of the people who wrote the Bible. And we've never seen an original manuscript of the Bible either. Though we see the results of them, we have never seen any of the virtues that God commands or any of the graces that he's given. Yet we live in the conviction of all these things by faith. We bank our earthly lives and our eternal destiny on things which we can never see. That is the way the people of God have always lived. So what is faith in Hebrews 11? It's trusting God in his commands. It's trusting God in his warnings. It's trusting God in his promises. Seeing them with an eye that isn't looking at the world and making decisions here that matter. So what should you do first? Where do I begin in my faith journey? Man, I want to grow this year in my faith. So where would Hebrews 11 take me? Like some big mountaintop? Am I going to be like Abraham taking my son up on a mountain to do something to him? Where do I start according to Hebrews 11? Well, in verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Where does faith start? Faith begins by believing in creation as God explained it in the book of Genesis. I kind of wrote this one little thing. The faith that trusts God's account of creation is the faith that makes you a new creation in Christ, and it is the faith that trusts God's promise of a new creation to come. The author begins with creation. I think it does for two reasons. Number one, it's associated, as I said, with all the other creation motifs. If you can believe God, that he created the world out of nothing, ex nihilo, and that's the God you believe in, then it's going to address all your problems. Like all the stuff you're going to go through, if you've got a God who can make stuff out of nothing, who made the entire universe, then whatever problem you're going to go through, like the Hebrews people, it's probably okay. He's going to handle it. And secondly, it becomes a picture of what faith is. How do I say? Let's admit it. None of us were there at creation. And none of us were at the cross. It's the same thing. You've come to faith in Christ at the cross view. I believe that that happened. But many Christians today still have struggles with the whole creation narrative as it's presented in Genesis. Yeah, it's not literal, it's this, there's a million years, there's a hunky-dunky, you know. The same faith that saves is the faith that believes in creation, and that's where the author starts. How do I know that the universe came into being ex nihilo? How do I know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? The Bible. That's how you know it. Yeah, but I don't know if the... It's a faith in the unseen things. And that faith is created by God in your heart. 
He has given us faith so that we can believe those things. And if we believe that creation, that God did all of this, according to Genesis, as he's described it, then we should apply that to the future creation as well and recognize that what Revelation says about God's future and the eschatological realities of that future should be just as easily accepted as the creation narrative of the beginning and the new creation in Christ. They are connected in our beliefs. So Bible teaches ex nihilo creation. The physical universe is neither eternal nor self-existent. And that unseen realities are primary in that they existed before seen realities, according to this verse. So the question is, can unbelievers see that? So, well, as a Christian, I can see that. I can put the pieces together. But does an unbeliever also see that in creation and all of those things? And the answer is yes and no, right? In Romans chapter 1, we're told that everyone is without excuse because there's sufficient evidence to demonstrate there is a God. And so everyone can see it. But Romans 1 also tells us that everyone suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And it's a moral issue. It's not an intellectual issue. Everyone knows there's a God. And everyone can see the cause and effect relationship. But everyone loves themselves and they love sin. And so they suppress those truths. And then finally, in terms of, finally in terms of those things, how do they get to a point where they can believe them? Well, the same way we did. God grants eyes to see. He gives special revelation to people so that they are able to absorb and experience natural revelation. Jeremiah 32 tells us this. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. So again, the faith that trusts God's account of creation is the faith that makes you a new creation in Christ, and it's the faith that trusts God's promise of a new creation to come. You know, what's funny is I'm used to being in the classroom uh, on Sunday mornings and growing disciples, and I keep having to tell myself as I go from page to page not to say, turn on to page six in your notes uh, and do that. Now, guys, what I'm about to say, I'm going to read a little quick list. And you may find in this list somewhere an objection where you're like, Dave, I totally agree with you. God created ex nihilo. I believe what Genesis says. But you're, it's very possible that the things I'm going to read, you're like, no, I don't believe that. When we say here at Hope Bible Church that Scripture teaches that God created everything within six literal, normal, solar, appropriate, approximate 24-hour days, I've already gotten rid of a few people in the room. You're like, yeah, no, God created, he did, what? And then here's the bomb. And that that creation happened probably less than 6,000 years ago. Womp, 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 womp. Fundamentalist, taking it too seriously. By believing the Genesis account, I would suggest to you that there's some things you would have to deny. Here's what they are. We would deny that the days were just long ages. We would deny that any human race existed prior to day one of the Genesis narrative. We would deny that animals or human death existed in the universe prior to Adam's sin. 
We would deny that there's a gap of billions or millions of years between Genesis 1 and 1-1 and 1-2 or 1-2 and 1-3. We would deny that Lucifer's fall occurred prior to day one of the creation. Why? Because everything that was created in the heavens and the earth was within six days, six yoms. We deny that Adam and Eve lived in the garden for long ages before sin. Uh, Genesis 5 tells us that Adam was only 130 years old when his replacement son was born. So the fall took place before 130 years into the narrative. God's, we would deny that God's continuous rest from creation means that day seven was not a literal normal day. Because it's a one-on-one correspondence. God told them, just like God rested on the seventh day, you Israel are supposed to rest on the seventh day. That's a long weekend if it was millions of years. We would deny that the genealogies and scriptures have gaps in them, allowing for long ages between people. It's so wonderful in Genesis and other chronologies where you're given very tight ages as to when people had their children. And that chronology is approximately 6,000 years old, or 6,000 years. We would deny that God, through Moses, accommodated the ignorance of people living in a pre-scientific age when describing the creation in terms of days, patting them on the box, you know, on the head, giving them a lunchbox. Okay, little boys and girls, go home. We would deny that Genesis 1 is an allegory and not a literal historical event, and we would deny that Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3 merely presents a literary framework for understanding creation. Now, for those of you who are on the bandwagon, you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But I guarantee in the room, there are many of you who are professing Christians would struggle with any number of those things. And I'm not suggesting all of those are exactly the, the way, the only Christian way to say it. But I would say this, the first step in your faith journey has to go back to creation and accept it as God has said it. If that's not it, then you might be the kind of person who would also struggle over here, which I have seen in my 38 years of being a pastor, and that is this, a professing Christian who's never been water baptized. Like, wait, are those connected? It's kind of like, that's a little thing, and I don't really go there, and I don't worry about it. There's places where, in Christian faith, they just sort of end up in the same bucket. I don't work, work about all the details of the creation narrative. It won't matter. It does matter. Gender matters. Uh, all of those things matter in Genesis 1. And so the author has begun by saying, where does faith begin? by believing in God as your creator before you believe in him as your savior. So I look forward to the next couple of weeks, and we're, Lord willing, we'll get into this and look at Abel and uh, Enoch next and those, and look at how does this faith actually work in daily life according to Hebrews 11. Let me pray. So Father, we are so grateful. We are so thankful for what you have done in Christ for us. And we thank you for the reality that in Hebrews, you have given faith to those who've gone before us as an example, who've trusted you for things that cannot be seen with the naked eye, but be seen through faith because you've promised them. Lord, may we grow this year in our faith and in our daily walk with you. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.